welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today, I have John Stroud, CEO at AI Guides. AI Guides is an AI strategy and consulting company, and I brought John on the show specifically to talk about what everybody else is talking about, which is artificial intelligence, specifically around generative AI, and how artificial intelligence can be harnessed to basically make your business better. And no, we're not talking about having to work at a large-scale enterprise in order to make that happen. We're talking about even single-person operations. There is a buffet of options these days. And with that, here's my interview with John. John, thanks for your time today. Oh, thanks for having me. So John Stroud of AI Guides, tell us about AI Guides. Sure. So we are uh, AI strategy consultants. And we got started a couple of years ago because my partner, Jen and I, could see that for all the potential of AI, many organizations were struggling with it. And the failure rate could be quite high. They were failing because they were getting matched to the wrong solution. And so what we wanted to do was get in early in their planning process to give them independent advice on what was the best fit for their particular organization and just get them on the roadmap to a successful implementation. Excellent. So quite the hot topic right now. I mean, I, I look at the entire open, you know, the chat GPT revolution, quarter revolution, that when that emerged on the scene, it was one of those seminal moments in technological history. Yeah, let me go back a bit. So I look back at when ChatGPT came on the scene and caught the attention of everyone very quickly as one of those seminal moments in the forward progress of humanity, quite honestly. It was it was this thing that basically, as far as, as technology is, can be intimidating and artificial intelligence can be intimidating, the simple nature of the interface and the ability to do from the silliest to the most incredible things with it very quickly captured everyone's imaginations incredibly fast. So I can't remember the last time we had a technology that did that. Maybe the iPhone, maybe not. Yeah, I think so. yeah it's a big one. It's a big seminal moment in history, at least the way I look at it. So, so that happened. And that, of course, brought AI back to the hot topic on technology for everybody. And let's talk about, first of all, what we're talking about when we're talking about artificial intelligence, because that is an ever-moving goalpost, quite honestly. So when we're talking about AI, what does that mean to you? I think of AI... In non-technical terms, it's a prediction machine. So you give it data and it ingests it, puts it through an algorithm, and it makes a prediction about the world. And in order to get that prediction machine, you can think of it as, as having like three main parts. It's kind of like an analogy for a car. You have your data, which is like the oil, but then you need a, a pipeline that refines it. So that's cleaning up your data. And then you need an algorithm, which is just the engine of your car. So you take your oil, you refine it, and then you put it in your engine and your car can go. So if you've got data that gets cleaned and you put it in your algorithm, then you can get it to make predictions about just about anything. Yeah, it's funny because I was, you know, I've had guests on my other podcast about data being the new, talking about data being the new oil. And yes, artificial intelligence is the engine that goes over top of that. And I guess 
that represented for most people the biggest obstacle to implementation of artificial intelligence that was out there. I mean, don't get me wrong, there was technological limitations for the layperson to even begin to understand, but data stewardship up until the last like five to 10 years has been relatively poor in most organizations, quite honestly. Like people would just the amount of human error in terms of input of this stuff, and there was no actual like policing of that properly. And even old legacy systems just suddenly deciding that a certain column was or a certain uh, field was going to be used for something new after a certain point, like just, it was garbage, absolute garbage. So the ability to leverage that at large organizations was limited by their just terrible stewardship for decades on end. That's absolutely right. And I talked about, you know, the high failure rate of projects. A big reason for that was around their data stewardship is it's a, if you don't take the time to get the data right, then you have a, a garbage in, garbage out problem. And so many organizations might have been better off not even starting an AI project. When you think of the opportunity cost of going in the wrong direction and then get something at the end that doesn't work, not only did you spend all that money, but you wasted all your time and you dispirited the team in the process, right? So it it's hard to do well. When it works, it's great. But it does require effort. Well, it's 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 amusing because I mean, typically these people get showroomed something that does work, and it does work if all of the infrastructure beneath it is set up for the tower to not fall over. Exactly. Problem is, they sign up for it, maybe overestimate their ability to get that infrastructure in place or to solve their infrastructure problem, and then they put the tower up and it falls down. Right? Like bingo. And another example that we use is they get sold a light bulb, and they say. Wouldn't it be great if you had a light bulb instead of candle? And the light bulb really works, but you can buy it. But if you don't have an outlet to plug it into and electricity going to it, the problem's not the light bulb. The problem is everything on the back end. Exactly. And as for the reticence, I mean, there's been more than one massive blow up of executives getting fired over money getting blown on something that couldn't be implemented. So, I mean, as usual, basically, Executives don't want to stick their neck out for something that could basically blow up in their face, right? So that was the big obstacle limitation to large-scale enterprises and and small-scale companies. Look, they're not going to sit back and think about their data, you know, data stewardship. They're going to hire. They're going to buy off-the-shelf software. They're going to implement that. And there's not many who have the wherewithal to basically look at layering other systems over top of those things and integrating and whatnot. So that's that's always been a difficulty. But with the current world of of AI, how has that changed? There's a big change with generative AI and the threshold for anyone to get involved with it is just so much lower. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you talked about the excitement that people had of using it for the first time. And it it wasn't so much the underlying technology that had changed all that much. It was just the interface. It was just a chat interface. Mm -hmm. So it was completely intuitive to people. So it was easy to access. And then the second thing is, is once you actually got in there, there were these pre-trained models. They'd done all of that hard work that we were talking about, getting the data, getting it organized, getting it to you. So you had this little Christmas present for you of of something nicely prepared. And so the big companies like OpenAI have presented it to you. It's almost... Prepackaged and ready to go, right? It's pretty... Exactly. Yeah. 
So that opens up any number of doors for implementation. So what have you seen as kind of like the simple base level uses of artificial intelligence? And let's also take a step back and set set expectations here. Right? When people think of artificial intelligence, I'm sure the first thing that comes to mind is the Terminator or some other or, or previous generation would have been Hal, you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? And the reality is what we're talking about there is we're talking about general purpose AI. Like that's the white whale and the the the, the long-term goal of the industry is to basically get to a, per, a point where you can just have a natural conversation with an AI and that AI understands you fully like a human being would and be able to undertake any number of things without you having to think about it. Basically what Siri and, and Alexa hope to be, but are very, very limited in their capacities. So that's general purpose AI. We're not talking about that with anything we're talking about today. We're talking about very narrow use cases for AI. So very specific hyper use cases, which it's a lot easier to nail one thing really well than it is to try to be all things to all people. So basically, that's the setting the stage. So let's talk about the easy, simple implementations that you've seen that are powerful, that basically, in let's, let's face this, face it, no one thing is going to run your business for you, right? Like no one thing is going to do that. But combining a bunch of stuff will have the impact of creating efficiencies that will add up to significant amounts of time as you implement more and more of them. So Using that kind of framing, give me some examples of some simple implementations that can be time-saving, productivity-improving, and basically that can compound over time for small businesses. Sure. So the easiest way to get in is just simply tapping into OpenAI and the ChatGPT. So you can buy, you can get it for free, or you can buy a subscription that gets you to the head of the line, and you can do a number of creative and productivity tasks. You can make it your co-author or your co-pilot on writing emails or doing marketing and so forth. And the models are not just open AI, but there are going to be new ones that are emerging for uh, specific purposes. For example, Bloomberg has come up with its own GPT. Now, that's focused on financial services. And that's going to be at a much higher price point. But you can see that other general models are going to evolve that are going to be similar to what uh, Bloomberg has So for your domain. So that's doing no work. Then the next step over is there's companies that have essentially built a niche offering, mostly on top of the open AI. So if you're um, a financial planner, there are niche applications on how you can use Excel better, or there are niche applications on how you can provide better customer support. So it's got all of the strength of the OpenAI model, but with a little tweaking. And that's still very easy to do. It's a small subscription fee. And then if you want to go further, it's actually taking your own data and adding it to the open AI model and fine tuning it so that it's giving answers that are specific to your context. The, uh, fair enough. And that's, that's, you kind of went top down to some degree. So, and then back out, but a couple of things to touch upon there, right? Let's talk about some of the simple general ones, right? The one I like to use as an example, because you can, you can literally get access to chat GPT, uh, um, powered stuff in Google docs in, Microsoft Office now, right? Like it can literally start writing your blog posts, your letters, whatever else it is, give you ideas. So it's a matter of learning how to use the proper prompts, which we'll come back to later in order to do that. 
But something even more simple, the simplest example I use is Grammarly Go, uh, which I've been using Grammarly for years that basically cleans up my, my spelling and my, my typos, which I'm notorious for typos. But now Grammarly Go will actually, I can tell it what kind of email to write, right? So some of my email responses, if, if I don't want to spend a lot of time drafting something overly wordy to simply you know, reject a prospect or to politely invite someone to something, I can simply type in, invite this person to do blah, blah, blah. And it comes up with a fully composed email, right? That is thoughtful and well done and, and whatever tone I want it to be. When you think about the, so just think about how much time you spend in email, right? Like depending on your job, if I can shave one to two minutes off a lengthy email every time, have that up over the course of a year, that's a lot of days saved, quite honestly. So simple implementation, right? And that one that's not, not intimidating to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just one example. And there are now websites, uh, one of them is called, there's an AI for that. And they're up over 5,000 different applications that are just like that. Grammarly is one of the, the big ones. Uh, Jasper's another one. And so there's some some big players and then tons and tons of little niche things. So almost like any part of your job, you can get better and faster at it. So there's been a switch from just being more creative to actually being more productive with these tools. Totally. And let's go up to the, we talked about financial, you know, services specific. So for those of you who are in the financial planning industry or financial advice business, We've already seen a bunch of stuff like this. Now, not generative AI, more algorithm-based, but conquest planning, which basically will actually tell you which strategies to basically use and also potentially even just run a plan for you to a company I started working with recently called CIFA out of the US, sorry, out of the UK, that is actually its own chat large language model protocol that basically is looking to automate back and middle office information gathering and, and, and workflows. So being able to throw in questionnaires and whatnot and be able to and linking into CRMs and being able to use it as an interface is to say, okay, I mean, with a client, what's their outstanding balance on their mortgage? Boom, pulls up that information. What is this? Boom, what is that? So being able to draw in all that information to one unified view while also simultaneously being able to pull extract data when necessary. So yeah, I think that we're going to see, it's interesting because what typically happens with technology is the broad stuff is handled for the general market. And then people slowly get into like building niche services. I feel like this is all happening at the same time, quite honestly. Like the broad market solution came out and now suddenly everybody's just immediately basically doing every level of depth and service that there is. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And for every domain, more and more of these tools are emerging. And so you you got to check it out to make sure that if it's a good fit for you and some are more reliable than the others. But the problem is not going to be that these these tools aren't there. It's going to be, how do I pick of the dozens or hundreds of tools that could work, what's the best fit for me? Well, I also think there's just part of this that has to, yeah, so let's talk about, the, let's actually deal with a couple of things. Let's talk about the journey. So like someone wants to get started and potentially looking to harness artificial intelligence, maybe they're a technophile, whatever else it is. How do they get started down this journey of figuring out what's out there? How can they use it? What areas of their business it could help in? Like, what does it look like? Sure. I think... A really easy way to do this is, I mean, you start with some literacy about just like what AI is, how could it impact my business? And if you want to have a conversation about that, ChatGPT is actually not a bad place to start because it has that chat format and it can point you to resources. Mm-hmm. But once you've done a little bit of work, you can experiment. Some of these things are free. A lot of them only cost a little bit a month to try them out. 
If you're going to get going on it, what I would try to do is think about something that's internal facing as opposed to external facing and something that has a human in the loop as opposed to something that the AI is going to do on its own. Think of it like a science experiment. Where are the opportunities for me? And I want to manage the downside so that if something goes wrong and I get a suggested email back to a customer that I don't like, I get a chance to review it before it goes out. So I think that's good. And then if you really start to want to expand, then, I mean, you can start looking at bringing in outside help to to give you some advice on that. So a good place to start. And I would also say that, frankly, like the reality is, is that they're probably having it thrown at them by their current vendors, right? Like a lot of artificial intelligence almost every major platform I see is either basically already incorporated it or working to incorporate it shortly. So, I mean, everything from Salesforce, who's already got a beta test going on on their large language model. And one of my favorites, Notion, who was very, very quick out of date on this, where they can basically, there's a lot of things they can do with Notion AI. It just keeps on expanding. But the, but I think the key to their understand is like you said, is, is the awareness. And this can be even like the simplest of businesses can find ways to harness that. And one of the examples I use for this is, now I found a, I think it was called PDF or chat PDF or something like that. And it's a system that you just upload any PDF into it and start asking questions, right? So you can upload a contract and ask like what it means for you in certain contexts and actually get information that's relatively true. So I think that is that is the key. So one of the things I want to talk about though is, and this comes up from time to time, is concerns about privacy. Because basically open AI is effectively a open protocol, right? So technically it is a open source project. So this has come up more than once. It's like, hey, wait a sec, am I pushing confidential information to a open source project? So what is the answer to that? And uh, let's talk about the implications. Yeah, don't share personal information or sensitive information with open AI because the controls that you would want in place are not there. And so if you share that information, you don't know where it might bubble up against again. And so you want to be very cautious about the, the information you share until you can get to the point where OpenAI is going to allow for more private containers where you make sure that your information will be protected. Sort of like people used to be nervous about putting information in the cloud and they now feel comfortable you'll want to wait until they get to those level of protections before you you start sharing your information. Yeah, so I think, I think you're absolutely right there. But I also think the other piece of this too to keep in mind is that that's the open AI protocol. Now, there's also large language models that are private within companies and different vendors, right? So one of the big concerns I had with the company I was advising was, okay, hold on, are you actually using the open protocols and pushing all this client information to them? And the answer was no, we are siloing that. We've got our own large language model. So I think it's important to understand that there is a, there's a difference. That there's not everybody's not, not everybody's just using open AI. They I think it's a very important question that when you're doing due diligence, they understand what the privacy boundaries are of this thing. Yeah, exactly. You're right. And so different players have different rules. And if it's free, then you should really be worried about it. But if you're setting up a specific agreements with the company, then you'll want to check that in advance. Right. So that's the privacy aspect. We discussed fi- of finding it. Let's talk about basically like your company and your role. Like you talked about the consulting. Like give me kind of the, the start to finish experience of what it is to deal with a consultant around AI. Like how does that look? What kind of companies do you typically deal with? You know, take me through that entire process. Sure. 
So we typically deal with small and medium-sized organizations. The leaders of those tend not to be tech savvy. And instead, they're more optimistic about the potential for AI to be transformative of their business. And they're also a little bit worried about what all of this change means. And so they have a sense of where they'd like to go with their business, but they know they know they don't know enough about AI. And so what we do is we sit down with them and take them through three steps. So one is their vision. It's what is the goal that they're trying to accomplish? And then we frame that in, an, in AI terms for them. And then secondly, we look at their particular tech stack and the skills of the, the employees that they have. So the, the more sophisticated they are, the more options that are available to them. So the third step is we say, well, if that's the vision of where you want to go, and these are your IT constraints, then here's a roadmap on how you can accomplish that goal. And then we hand them off to the team that can do the implementation. And what's particularly nice if you if you do the work now is that there's a Government of Canada grant are creating a, a digital strategy. So for uh, companies that have uh, $500,000 in revenue, they probably qualify for this grant, and that gives them $15,000 towards the preparation of this strategy. So if you've got a hunch about how you might be able to use AI, then the vast majority of the cost is covered through a grant. And so you get that independent assessment of what you could do and then if you want to implement that, then there's a further up to $100,000 interest-free loan to implement your plan. Excellent. Well, and it's a smart program, honestly. Like get people's feet wet, give them the grant, let them get the assessment done for free, and then give them the ability to basically finance it. You know, smart move, very smart move. So, okay. So now we covered that. Let's go back to kind of like the foundational steps. We talked about the, the basically how to get started. The what are the things that people need to be aware of that maybe they're not thinking about or we haven't talked about just yet? Because we talked about like where to find this stuff, how to get implemented, how to get started, how to think about it a little bit, and and what privacy concerns you have. What else should they be aware of before they go down this journey? One thing to keep in mind is that sometimes people think of AI as being just like an IT project, and we like to say AI is not IT. AI is more like a science experiment. Think of it as, you know, you're teaching the machine. It's like a child that needs to learn and you ask it some questions and initially get some wrong answers and with training, you can make it better. So you have to have that mindset that there's incredible potential here, but it's not necessarily going to work right out of the box. For some of the simpler niche applications, for sure, it's more like software. But the, the more you get involved with AI, the more to have this experimental mindset. And part of the, the ROI from a project is not just what happens on this particular project that you're working on, but it's the learning that you get. It's to thinking about projects differently. So if you can do a small project with AI, then you can think, oh, now I get it, how this is different from IT. And then applying those lessons in something more important, more valuable to the organization. Yep. Agreed. And 
let's talk about that training because I mean, here's the thing: people have uh, there's there's every every now and there's a funny story about this. First off, like yes, anyone who's played around with it long enough knows that it will give you wrong answers, right? And it's partially the software, and it's part or partially the AI. It's partially how we use it, right? So the first challenge becomes what we're asking it for, right? Telling it not to make stuff up is actually an important thing. It was a lawyer who got in trouble for citing a case that did not actually exist. So understanding the limitations and how to communicate with it are hugely important. The most one of the more popular listed jobs right now is prompt engineer. So let's talk about what a prompt is in regards to generative AI and why it's important. Sure. So a prompt is just the instructions that you give to the chatbot. This is what you're asking. And the more precise you can be, the more parameters you can put around that, the higher the quality response you're going to get. And now there's this community of people that are sharing tips on how to make the best prompts. And they're not always intuitive. And so there's these libraries that are emerging of of best practices. If you want a prompt for uh, customer uh, sales, then and use these magic words. So that's evolving pretty quickly, but it's being as directive as possible gets you better response. Excellent. Absolutely. And just again, it's so it's funny. It's its own skill set. I mean, just like a lot of ways, just like training a human being is its own skill set, right? We all think we communicate very effectively, but if you think if you communicate very effectively, you know, just verbally tell someone how to do a job and then see how that comes back, right? It's just, it doesn't come back clean every time. So I want to also deal with the elephant in the room on artificial intelligence. And that's that's less a concern for owners, more so than it is for employees, is, is this replacing people, right? Like, what does that look like? And how true is that fear? Yeah, that's a very legitimate fear. And I think that certainly with a number of technologies that say around robotic process automation, where companies have been very keen on this because they take their routine tasks and they turn around and lay people off. So that's an understandable fear. And people are reluctant to say, well, why would I teach this bot simply to replace me? But I think when you look at organizations, the greater threat comes from working at a company that's not introducing technology. Because if your company isn't introducing AI and your competitors are, then the threat is going out of business because you're not able to meet the demands of of your customers. So I think it's companies that invest in technology and take the approach that we're going to free people up to do other roles that they're better suited to are the ones that are most likely to succeed. So it's it's not as a negligible risk. People should be aware of this, but I think the greater threat is that if you're at a company that isn't investing in technology. True. And I also think at the end of the day, you know, it's not the highest, best use of people's time to do a lot of the stuff that this stuff can do, right? And they don't want to do either, right? Yeah, that they don't want to do, right? So look, I get it. If you're someone who just likes pushing paper and not, for lack of a term, square peg square into a square hole, like, you know, the reality is, is that that's a low-hanging fruit piece of infra of work that basically artificial intelligence and robotics are going to take over, right? So the reality is, is, is you're right. Like a business's job is to stay alive first and foremost, right? And, you know, holding yourself back from developing the business and creating greater efficiencies is just going to long-term cut to your margins and jeopardize the entire future of that business altogether. And then guess what? All those jobs are gone. 
So yeah. it's a it's a transformational thing. Now I also say that for most people, any form of artificial intelligence and the productivity gains from from it are not something that's like light switch. It doesn't like turn on overnight and suddenly like, oh, half my staff is not necessary. It doesn't happen. It's it's a little bit more of a slow boiling frog in a in a pot of water. And natural attrition through basically people leaving or through basically retirement often solves the problem of, well, I don't have to lay anybody off, right? It's just, it depends on how you look at things. Yeah, I agree. And the technology also creates new tasks, new problems that require new skills. So we talked about prompt engineer. Well, that was a job that didn't exist two years ago, ago. but now it does. And you can think of like, what are the tasks that you're doing in, in your company well, solving it with AI is going to create some new set of, of responsibilities and new tasks that people are going to be better suited to. So if you're worried about your job, I think you want to be someone who's adaptable and open-minded to it. But there's going to be so many opportunities to contribute. Yep, absolutely. So before we wrap up, let's uh, go over some kind of last-minute kind of tips and tricks or best practices. So Basically, what is kind of your all-encompassing summary of advice for people looking to look at this space? If you feel like things are moving quickly now, just watch. Uh, We're on an exponential curve and the rate of change is only going to increase. And so our advice is to get in with something, pick a way that you can improve a workflow, some pain that's really bothering in your organization and see, is there a way that AI would be able to do this cheaper, faster, better for us? And start learning because once you start to see the opportunities here, it'll snowball for you. And you can make the switch from looking at a problem in terms of just efficiency. How can we do our current work better, faster, cheaper, over time, you can start to think about, well, how can this change my business model? If I'm not doing this anymore, what's a different way that I could serve my customers? And that can lead to innovation opportunities. So get in, start learning, get more efficient, and then get more innovative. Absolutely. And I would also say that it's kind of funny. It's always perspective. Everybody, you know, so much of your concept of the speed of departure depends on your starting point, right? And I was watching a show the other day that was based in the 1960s. And the character was going on about how the rate of change is like unprecedented compared to previous generations and whatever, which was true at the time, because we're always sitting on a bit of an exponential curve, at least in the last, I would say, post-industrial revolution era, for sure. We're always sitting on an exponential curve. But when you're sitting on that, the hill initially does not look that big. But if you don't start progressing up that hill, then basically, and you're left behind, it just starts to move to the horizon and eventually beyond that, right? So I would always say general best practice is always be a continuous learner because this stuff will never leave you behind. But this is why kids always find it to be less intimidating because it's their starting point, right? Whereas our starting point is something way back in the past. Yeah. If you're worried about adapting to AI, I think I would say this is real and this is going to have widespread implications in all parts of society. It's the most important innovation since fire. So it's going to continue. And it doesn't get easier a year from now. It gets harder. This is what, you know, we all think about like, oh, 
I'm going to the bank. I'm using the bank machine. Here's all these old people or people who basically can't, don't even know, it, like just refuse to use the bank machine because they're intimidated by it, right? Yeah. Like they didn't start off as like Luddites. They started off understanding the tools of the era they were born in and they were, that they were used to and then basically stopped learning, right? Like that's the reality of it. And it's, as I tell anyone who thinks that they can skirt like, oh, I don't know how to use this. I'm just going to ignore it. It's like, you think this is going to get easier for you? Imagine how much harder this is going to be in 30 years. Yeah. Right. I would rather not be someone scared of every tool in the universe. And the bank teller one is a good example of automation. Totally. When that was introduced, the idea was, well, this is going to eliminate all of the jobs for tellers. But reducing the cost of providing the services allowed banks to increase the number of branches that they opened. And so more people were served and the number of people who were tellers didn't actually go down. And this is the funny thing is that like, it's the economic concept of consuming the marginal improvement, right? So let's imagine you can wave a magic wand and everyone in an industry could increase their margins by, by 100% tomorrow. Like they can double their profitability tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think that they're just going to pocket that? Or do you think that they're going to use that to invest, to try to gain more market share or expand their services, right? Like it is the natural, in, in, naturally inbred into all businesses to grow, right? So they're going to invest that in growth, which basically means expansion of services, compression of the margins, probably back to where they were before because people were used to it. So it's acceptable. And basically, but it'll be smaller margin on larger pies, right? So this is not unusual. Like, is it because if we didn't follow that pattern, then the reality is most businesses would just still have the footprint they did 30, 40 years ago and would be less profitable in general. But no, everybody wants to grow the pie and take a slice. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. I know we meandered quite around this a bit, but this is not a linear concept to understand, right? You have to understand a bunch of different facets and dimensions and concepts around it, right? Indeed. And these were really great questions. I really enjoyed this. Excellent. And uh, where can people find you? The easiest way to find us is on our website. So it's aiguides.co. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. So John Strap. Be happy to chat with anyone. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was my interview with John Stroud at AI Guides. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you got some sense that, you know what, you there are easy ways to get started here and that awareness and education here is vital to preserving a business at any stage and any stage of your career, quite honestly. So basically, by all means, take a look at AI Guides, what they're putting out, and just try to keep abreast of some of this stuff. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever is it your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.